thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's Hanukkah, as you can see, I've got menorah here. And uh, it's very exciting that we are able to celebrate Hanukkah and broadcast Shurim and share with you some of the wonderful aspects of Hanukkah uh, that are so, so important for us. It's such an important Chag in the Jewish calendar. And I've given Shurim on Hanukkah in the past, but uh, today I want to focus on something which is uh, it's exciting and it's interesting, and I'm going to look at it from a number of different angles. So we're going to um, call this Shir, When is a Miracle a Miracle? And we're all very familiar with miracles. And in fact, the Rambam, and he's going to come up later on in the Shir, the Rambam Maimonides spends a lot of time talking about miracles and how they occur. He's not the only one. Many people in Jewish tradition have discussed the concept of miracles. Um, I, I spoke about this um, recently in a shir that I gave, uh, that there is a kind of parallel universe or parallel world which God created, which is a kind of miracle world. Um, where things can occur because they're miraculous. And in fact, Pirkei Avot, which we're studying as well on a regular basis, and you're of course welcome to tune into my Pirkei Avot Shurim on a weekly basis and hear some of the wonderful wisdom of the Tanaim of the Talmud. Um, but the Pirkei Avot uh, specify 10 specific miracles which were created alongside creation. And I think the concept there, and I'll talk more about it when we get to that Mishnah, is that God created miracles and um, he created the world to run according to the laws of physics, chemistry and biology. So we know that world very well. It's empirically provable. You, know, you can take it to a laboratory and you can scientifically say this is what's going to happen when you do this, that and the other. Miracles are a little bit more random, but don't think that that world doesn't exist. There is a world of miracles and God created the possibility for miracles alongside creation. How we access that or when it happens is something which is uh, an interesting discussion in and of itself. And what uh, constitutes a miracle is an interesting discussion in and of itself. Maimonides wants to say that all miracles have some aspect of the natural world in them. And that's, of course, possible, and we're going to see some um, ideas today in today's share which are going to take that into account, although they don't mention the Rambam. But the miracle of Hanukkah. The miracle of Hanukkah. Look, we have a menorah here. We're, we're on the sixth day of Hanukkah. We have a menorah. We lit six lights last night, and here they are on my desk. How many days are there in Hanukkah? You know the answer. There's eight days of Hanukkah. Why are there eight days of Hanukkah? Why do we light the menorah? Uh, what is the concept of Hanukkah as represented by the lights of the menorah? We're going to look at the Gemara in Shabbos. The Gemara in Shabbos is Tavchof Aleph, Omad Base, and um, it, there's a whole discussion there about Hanukkah. There's not a whole Masechta dedicated to Hanukkah as there is, for example, to Purim. They're both rabbinic um, festivals, but Hanukkah only has a couple of pages in the Gemara, one page. Um, and scattered references here and there, etc. But essentially, Hanukkah, all, all that we know about Hanukkah comes from a few lines of the Gemara in Maseches um, Shabbos, Davchof Aleph. That's where it begins. And we're going to just read one small section of that particular Gemara, the one that refers to the miracle of Hanukkah. Here we go. 
My Hanukkah, says the Gemara. What is Hanukkah all about? Says the Gemara, the Tonerabonam, the sages taught us, and by the way, this can be found in Megillas Tanis. Megillas Tanis is a record of all the festivals that were celebrated at the time of the Beis Hamikdash. inun. On the 25th of Kislev, the days of Hanukkah are eight. Delola mispad bahoin anois bahoin. You're not allowed to give a hesped, a eulogy on those days, and you're not allowed to fast on those days. You can't do anything which is a, a, a mourning practice, a mourning custom, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G custom, and you're not allowed to fast on those days. You can't declare a fast for yourself. Why? When the Greeks, the Seleucid Greeks, overran the temple, do you know what they did? They defiled, ritually defiled all the oil in the temple. And oil was an important part of the temple duties. However, when the Hasmoneans, the Hashmonaim, the Maccabees came into the Beis Amikdash and they were victorious against the Greeks, what did they do? They searched and searched and searched throughout the area of the temple, on Temple Mount, and they were only able to find one jar of oil. And that jar of oil, that jug of oil, was sealed and it had a hechsher. What was the hechsher? It wasn't OU in those days, and it wasn't OK, and it wasn't any of the other many Hechsherim that we are familiar with. There was one Hechsher that counted in the Beis Amikdash. It was the Hechsher of the Kayan Godel, the Kashrut authority signature imprimatur of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. And that's what was on the oil. So they knew it was holy and they knew it was pure. However, this jug of oil only had sufficient oil inside it to light the menorah the menorah of the Beis Hamikdash for one night. Nase boy nase, but a miracle occurred. And they were able to light from this jug of oil the menorah for eight full days. We're going to see in a little bit why eight days matters, but eight days was the was the amount of time that this oil lasted, even though it should have lasted only one. Uh, it lasted eight times longer. Lashona Acheres, the following year, As a result of this incredible miracle, the following year they established a festival, um, which is a time when we say Hallel and a time when we pay tribute to God for having done this miracle. That's the Gemara in Shabbos, Daf Chof Aleph. If you want to know why we light Menorah every year, and why we light it for eight nights, this is the reason. There was a miracle. For eight nights, the menorah stayed alight, even though it should have only remained light for one. And therefore, we light the menorah. That's the Gomorrah. I just want to quickly digress and look at the Maharsha, and then we're going to look at, um, we're going to focus on the part of the Shia which is going to be most interesting. But I, I think that this Maharsha has something to tell us, and therefore, I'm going to share it with you. The Maharsha, on the Gemara in Shabbos says as follows, that the 
um, it's an interesting point he raises. The Greeks, that when they came into the Beis Hamikdash, they defiled all the oils. And it wasn't possible for them to actually um, create, to either fabricate or to uh, um, fetch oil that was pure, uh, and it would have taken them eight days. In fact, this is elsewhere in the Rishonim. Maharsha um, is not a Rishon, but the Rishonim say that the place where pure oil was made was a place called Tekoa. Tekoa is um, uh, quite a distance from Yerushalayim if you're traveling in those days. It took four days to get there. They could have immediately picked up the oil, and it would take four days to get back. I'm not sure why it would take four days to get there and four days to get back. I'm not sure how they were traveling. But if that's the case, and they would have had only oil for one night, that means they would have lit the oil in the menorah for one night. They would have had to wait seven days until they could get the next oil that was usable uh, for, for the menorah. That means there would have been a break of seven days. However, they immediately dispatched people to fetch oil from Tekoa, and they were able to get it. But in the interim period, they lit the menorah and it remained alight for eight days. That's the miracle. And after the eighth day, on the ninth day, they had the oil, oil from Tekoa and they were able to light the menorah <coughs> going forward. So, says the Maharsha, They couldn't get pure oil for another eight days. They themselves were not pure. They were um, Tomei. Imagine this, they're soldiers fighting against the Greek army. They killed people, which means they came into proximity with dead people, and uh, either their colleagues or the people that they killed, um, whatever uh, the case may be, and therefore they were considered Tome. The only way they could become Tohoe is if they would go through the Pora Aduma, the ashes of the Pora Aduma was sprinkled on them, but they hadn't done that yet. And that being the case, they were Tome. So we know that the Beis Yosef writes that and the Re'em writes that in his explanations to the Smag. And the Re'em asks a very good question at that point. When he explains that they were all Tomei, he asks a very pertinent question about that very first year, the time when they retook the Beis Hamikdash from the Greeks. How exactly were they able to light the menorah if they were Tomei? Because even if they had a sealed jar, sealed jug of oil, the moment they opened that oil and touched it, it would become Tomei. So how is it possible for them to light the menorah? What use is um, pure oil that was ritually pure, if the moment the people who lit it, lit the menorah using that oil, would touch it, it would become impure. There's no value in the purity of that oil if it becomes contaminated the moment it comes into contact with the people who are using it. They would surely contaminate, defile the oil when they would use it to light the menorah. But tirates and the answer that's given by their aim in his in his comments on the smug is that they lit the menorah using a, a kind of a tool 
something that was made of wood, which wouldn't contaminate it. They never touched it directly, they only touched it indirectly using something which they could, um, so they somehow managed to maneuver the oil so that it poured into the cups of the menorah, and the way they lit the menorah was such that it wouldn't become tome because their contamination wouldn't go through this object that they used in order to light the menorah. The Einzer Maspik says that Maharsha, this is not sufficient. He asks another question. He says, if it's true to say that they were all Tomei, that all the people who came into the Beis HaMikdosh on that day were Tomei, were ritually impure, how could they go into the Beis HaMikdosh in the first place? Forget how they lit the menorah. What were they even doing in that location? We know how um, strict the laws are how strict the halacha is with regard to who can enter into the harabais, and how are they able to go into the harabais if they were ritually impure. And that's why, says the Maharsha, I cannot actually accept this theory that they were all to me'e mesim, that they were all ritually impure. But nonetheless, there was a reason why they were not able to obtain Shemen Tohar. So the Shemen Tohar was the problem, and it, the problem was not, as the Re'em says in his uh, comments on the Smag, that they themselves were ritually impure. But it's an interesting question to ponder that at that moment when they were victorious against the Greeks, they had to take into consideration all the laws and regulations um, regarding how somebody is meant to be and what status he should be if he is going to perform the duties of the temple. He must be ritually pure. But now we're going to go to the meat of this shear, the most important part of this shear, and that is the question of the Beis Yosef. It's actually not the question of the Beis Yosef. It was originally raised by the Rishonim. They didn't ask the question quite as specifically as the Beis Yosef did Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo was the author of the Shulchan Aruch. Rabbi Yosef Karo was born in 1488. He died in 1575. And he was the author. He lived in Tzfas. And he um, was the author of the Shulchan Aruch which is the definitive guide, the definitive code of Jewish law that we use to this day, uh, on which we base ourselves in terms of how we conduct our Jewish lives in every aspect of our lives. It's in four separate segments. And in the segment on Arachayim, um, originally, the Beis Yosef was a commentary on the Tur. The Tur was somebody who had codified Jewish law before him. Um, the Tur is the Baal HaTurim, right? He is uh, 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 the son of the Rosh, and he was the first Ashkenazic codifier of Jewish law. And the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, took his work and reformulated it for what he considered to be a broader audience. It was then annotated by the Ramah and became the accepted uh, text of Jewish law, of the code of Jewish law that we use to this day. But Rabbi Yosef Karo, um, in his original commentary on the Tur, asks the following question. The Ikela Medak, he said, we need to understand. Why was Hanukkah an eight-day festival? The Gemara tells us that the, that the 
oil that was contained in the jar, the jug that was discovered with the Kohen Godel's seal on it, was sufficient for one day. In which case, on the first day, there was no miracle that occurred. The miracle only occurred for the following seven days. In which case, if we are to commemorate the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of Hanukkah only actually occurred for seven days. So why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days? That is the question of the Beis Yosef. It's, an, it's always referred to, as we're going to see in a moment, as the question of Beis Yosef. And he, um, and he came up himself with three answers, which are uh, discussed by many others. I'm not going to go through his answers today because you'll see in a moment that what has happened is that the question of the Beis Yosef has become a focal point for all rabbinic discussions regarding Hanukkah and has uh, generated so many answers that actually um, many years ago, decades ago, they came out with a Sefer in which there were 100 answers to this question. A Sefer, which I'm going to show in a moment, which is available online, has 500 answers to this question. And more recently, I saw yesterday, there is a Sefer that contains 1,000 answers to this particular question. Why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days and not seven, because on the first day, no miracle occurred. That's the question of the Beis Yosef. So the book which I want to share with you today is a book which is available online. I printed it from um, an online source. It's available on hebrewbooks.org. And if you're watching this right now live, we're going to get to it in a minute. If you're watching this live, you'll be able to uh, download the book from the link which Carly is going to post in the comment section of this Zoom. Um, you'll also see it, the um, download link, in the comment section on YouTube or on SoundCloud, and you will be able to download this book. It's a book that was published in, I believe, 2007. Um, yes, 2007. Uh, uh, there's a machon, it calls itself Machon Ur Chodosh. I think it's a machon. It was a, a group of people that got together for this specific purpose, and they published this fabulous book which contains in it 500 answers to the question of the Beis Yosef, this famous question as to why it is we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah as opposed to seven, because on the first day there was no miracle. So let's, I'm going to read to you, I've just selected from the, um, the opening, um, the preface to this book, and also the introduction to this book, to this Sefer, which is called Yemei Shmona. So this is the book, it's called Yemei Shmona, and um, it is all about this particular issue as to why it is we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah. Says the Yemei Shemona, if you're looking at your source sheet, you can of course download the source sheet as well from YouTube or from SoundCloud, or it's available if you want on, uh, on the comment section in Zoom. Says in the introduction to Yemei Shemona, that we're all very familiar with the question of the Beis Yosef. Who the Beis Yosef was puzzled by the fact that Chazal established an eight-day festival. Because we know that the actual miracle, at least according to the version that we saw in Masechah Shabbos, only took place 
uh, during the seven subsequent days after the first day that they had retaken the temple. Because we know that they had sufficient oil on the first day in order to light the menorah and for it to remain a light for one night. So what exactly was the miracle of the first day? In which case, the actual miracle that occurred, that it continued to remain alight, the menorah stayed alight for eight full days, was something that only occurred for the um, last seven days of that period, because the first day it was going to remain alight in any event. Boram, but says the introduction, very flowery language, that the Rishonim already dwelt on this topic. And the Rishonim, the medieval rabbinic scholars, uh, um, whose words we all rely on in order to understand our faith, they were the ones who commented on Gomorrah and came up with all the concepts that uh, underpin uh, the fundament of our faith to this day, they were they were already commented on this long before the Beis Yosef, who, as we know, was the is considered the first Acharon, um, the first latter day rabbinic scholar. Rishonim came before him, and he condensed their works all into his Beis Yosef and Shulchan Aruch, and he's considered the first Acharon. So it's not really his question because they came up with it first. Rishon by him who says the introduction here of the Yemei Shmoina, that the first one to come up with this question, or at least to respond to it, even if he didn't um, articulate it in quite the same um, direct and blunt way that the Beis Yosef did, but he certainly posed an answer to the question, was the Me'iri, the Meseches Shabbos, Kosov Aloshen, and he writes on, in his parish of Meseches Shabbos as follows, what about the first night when there wasn't actually the nais, the miracle of the oil? Why do we actually make a bracha? So the bracha there is um, we make. What nais was was done on that day for us to say the bracha with a full shame of malchus, the the. Miracle that occurred was the fact that we were redeemed from the oppression of the Greeks, and as a thank you for the fact that we actually found the jug of oil. That in itself was a miraculous event. So it's a different form of miracle. I remember I said earlier that the Rambam says that miracles actually are all natural events. Um, it's all about timing in this particular miracle. Because the Pach Hashemim was there, they may not have found it, and the fact that they found it was something that one could consider a miracle. There's no such thing as coincidence, there's no such thing as something that just happens uh, purely by chance. God wanted them to find it. If, if they had not found it, they wouldn't have been able to light the menorah. That's the implication of what the Me'iri is saying. And therefore, the fact that they found it was a miraculous event. And the remaining seven nights, of course, is the much more open miracle or the miraculous miracle that we're, you know, we're, the way we understand the word miracle to mean that the oil remained alight or was able to provide uh, the flame, even though it should surely have run out at the end of the first day. And there are those who explain that they were, um, they felt that there was not enough oil. 
So the Arishonim would say that the oil was divided into eight um, uh, in order for them to be able to get oil from Tekoa, which I mentioned earlier. So in order for them to get that oil, they needed to divide the oil into eight, which is what they did. And the Ein Nira says them, Eri, I don't think that that's the case. Um, I don't think that they divided the oil into eight and that it miraculously, each night lasted for a full night. We have a principle, says the Meiri, that you're not allowed to rely on miracles. You're not allowed to assume that God is going to provide a miracle for you. So at the end of the first night, perhaps they could have said, well, clearly Hashem wants this to happen and therefore... Uh, you know, it's the case for the next seven nights. But for the very first night, when they divided it into eight and they made the bracha, whatever it is that they said in the Beis HaMikdash, that when they made that bracha, they couldn't have made the bracha because the bracha can only be valid, says the Meiri, if it's for a full 24 hours. And they knew that the oil that they put in the menorah was only sufficient for an eighth of that 24-hour period. And that being the case... Uh, they couldn't rely on a miracle and they wouldn't have been allowed to do that. Uh, um, so, says in the introduction to Yemei Shemona, and similarly, we see other um, responses to the question of the Beis Yosef in other Rishonim and other medieval rabbinic scholars. We know that the, as I mentioned earlier, the Beis Yosef himself has three separate answers to this puzzling question. Many of the Achronim after him, those rabbinic scholars who came after the Beis Yosef, they, they uh, mention they cite the answers of the Beis Yosef, the Hirbu Lahakshes Lepalpe Bahem, and they ask many questions on them and they talk about those, those answers. In other words, it became the source of a lot of rabbinic discussion. By the way, there's a very simple reason for that. There's not a lot to talk about when it comes to Hanukkah in terms of halacha and rabbinic material. This is one of those topics which became almost a rabbinic sport. Everybody wanted to weigh in on this topic as to why we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah, because there's not that much to talk about when it comes to Hanukkah. It's a rabbinically ordained festival. There's no Mesechta, as we have with Megillah for Purim. There's nothing about Hanukkah. It's a page in the Talmud. And therefore, this became... Uh, this became one of the primary topics that was discussed over the years by rabbinic scholars because it's and it's enjoyable, right, to think about this question and to try to come up with an answer. OK. Um, so I'm going to continue reading from the introduction to Yemei um, Shemayna. He says that there's. He's divided whoever it is that put this together, the Oyach, the editor, or the team. They divided the answers, the 1,000 answers, into five separate sections, five chapters, he calls it. Um, Why? Because he says, broadly speaking, all the answers to this question fall into five different categories. As you're going to see, it's not quite five categories, but five different categories. In other words, it's not a thousand different, completely different answers. There is a category of answer, 
And those who answer the question broadly fall into one of those categories. So they may not say the same answer as someone else, but you can categorize them in this way. He says the first chapter, which contains however many answers, I didn't look at the number, you can look at it online. There's many, many different um, answers that are contained in this chapter. Um, if you want to understand the broad concept behind this chapter, behind, behind all the answers in this particular chapter, it is as follows. Don't imagine that on the first day that the miracle happened with the Pach Hashemen. The reason why we established the first day of Hanukkah, not the final seven days, but the first day, was because of a totally different miracle. That happened in those days. Either to do with the military victory or to do with the lighting itself. Or to do with some other miracle that occurred in those times. And that's why the first day of Hanukkah was established. The reason we have eight days is the final seven, at least in this chapter's version of events, is to do with the Pach um, Hashemen. But the first day is about a totally different miracle. Basaris of Fanim Shonim in many, many different ways, in countless different ways, we have an, um, an answer to the question of the Beis Yosef as to why it is we celebrate Hanukkah on the first day, not just the final seven days. Haperik Hasheni, the second category, Ze'oz mula oilam hanes beyoim harishon, Ze'ashmoyla oilam hanes beyoim harishon, beribuy Hashemen. What is that? Kema'asehu barishon kema'asehu b'sheni. Just as it happened on the first day, so it happened on the second day. So the second chapter contains all the answers which, broadly speaking, say that there was a miracle with the Pach Hashemen, with the jug of oil, on the first day as well. You just didn't understand it from the Gemara. The Gemara wasn't as explicit as it should have been in explaining what that miracle was. But in all the answers contained in the second chapter, you'll see that actually there was a miracle with the Pach Hashemen on the, on the first day of Hanukkah, not just on the second, third, fourth, etc. The third chapter, Perek Hashlishi. What is it? Perek Zeh Yochil is called Sugea Terutim Amavarim Befanim Meofanim Shoinim. Um, so in in that we see that uh, there's many um, uh, that there was no miracle as such, but on the first day there wasn't sufficient oil in the for whatever reason sufficient oil in the pach. So even though the Gemara seems to indicate that there was enough oil for one day, actually there wasn't enough oil for one day. And that being the case, there was um, a miracle on the first day that the oil lasted for the full day. And that's what the third chapter is about. The fact that the light remained alight for a full day was a miracle. As you'll see in the third chapter. The fourth chapter. What is it? Kolaterutim Hamasbirim Al Shum Vino Esime 
The fourth chapter is going to explain to us why it is that Chazal established Hanukkah, specifically for eight days. That means that the number eight is significant, not necessarily because of the Pacha Shemen, but for some other reason. And once you understand that eight is an important number, you will understand why the Kasha, the Beis Yosef, falls away. He is totally basing himself on the very literal interpretation of the Gemara, but actually the number eight is significant in and of itself. And that being the case, that was why Chazal established Hanukkah for eight days and not some other number. And finally, HaPerek HaChamishi. And that Perek is Giboy Koivtsoi, so it's a more random chapter, and the answers there don't fit in with any of the broad categories in the first four chapters, and therefore they are contained in this fifth chapter. There's many different versions as to why it is the case that we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days, or how to answer the question of the Beis Yosef. Now, I've chosen a selection of answers from Yemei Shmona. I wouldn't, I, I'm, unfortunately, this is not a book that's been translated into English. So if you're not familiar with Rabbinic Hebrew, it's going to be a little bit tough for you to go through it. But if you are familiar with it, do what I've done, which is print it off and have it spiral bound. I had it done several years ago, and every Hanukkah, I, have, I take it out and I uh, stick it there on the table with my menorahs and I enjoy it. I look at some more answers and it gives me um, a tremendous satisfaction to learn uh, rabbinic material about Hanukkah. You can do the same thing. It's not expensive. Send it off to a print shop, have it spiral bound and you can have it and you can learn it. And that's why they put it available for free. Whoever it was that published it wanted us to learn Torah. Wasn't so interested for us to pay for this publication, just wanted it to be available for all of us to use. But in any event, I've chosen a selection of answers. Um, let's look at the first chapter. The first answer I'm going to look at to the Beis Yosef's question is from the Shalot. In order to answer the question of the Beis Yosef, it would appear to me the rededication of the temple was in some way reminiscent of the rededication of the world, or the, sorry, the dedication of the world, Chanukas HaOilam. Ki Oilam Nivra Bishvil HaToyra. Why was the world created? We know. The world was created in order for the Torah to be available for humanity. The Kiyo Mitzvah and for the Jewish nation to observe its mitzvahs. The Hayavonim Rotzulavatel Zois. What did the Greeks want to do? They wanted to undermine this principle of creation, which is that the world was created so the Torah could exist and people should observe its mitzvahs. And when the Chashmonoim were victorious, as a direct result of that, the true purpose of the world was able to emerge victorious as well and Therefore, the world was strengthened. The universe was strengthened. And in the same way as the world, with the date of the world's initial creation, the first day of creation, as mentioned in Bereshis, is when Chof Elo. By the way, a very significant date. 
it's my birthday. Chofei Elul, the 25th of Elul, is my birthday. That's the day in Jewish tradition that we assign to the initial creation of the world. The, uh, there was no creation. That's the moment, as, as, as you might put it, of the Big Bang, when out of nothingness, yesh me'ayin, kach Hanukkah hu b'chof hei. And that's why Hanukkah has to begin on the 25th, even though perhaps the miracle only began on the 26th, but nevertheless, the number 25 is significant. And that's why we light for the seven latter days, in order to remember the miracle of the jug of oil, the Yom Noisaf, and the extra day to begin Hanukkah on the 25th, as a commemoration of the dedication, and in this case, the rededication of the world. That is the answer of the Shalah HaKadosh in his Sefer. Another answer here is from the Yitzit Piskam. I believe that this is from the Kloisenburger Rebbe. To answer the question of the Beis Yosef as to why it is we celebrate eight days and not seven. It says in the in the Sefer Seder Hadoras, and we see the same in the Yosipon, that there was no fire from the Mizbeach to light the menorah. Of course there wasn't. And from the location of the Mizbeach, underneath the rock, which was the foundation of the altar of the Beis HaMikdash, a fire came out. And they put um, wood onto the fire, and that fire suddenly took hold and they had a fire from which to light that was a miraculous event in and of itself that they could light they could use that to burn the korbanos and of course they used it for the menorah as well we know that the light of the menorah that the fire that was used to light the menorah had to come from the light of the mizbeach daika as we see in the sixth peric of tomid if it wouldn't have been for the fact that there was light on the Mizbech, there was fire on the Mizbech, they would never have been able to light the menorah. As a consequence of this unusual occurrence, this miraculous um, bursting forth of flame from the location of the Mizbech, that particular miracle is what we celebrate the first day of Hanukkah for and the subsequent seven days after the miracle of the Pachashemen that the oil lasted for a further seven days. Another answer here is from a sefer called Ner Tomit. By the way, this is just a selection. There's 500 answers that you can look at in this sefer. This is just a selection. Says Sefer Ner Tomit, there's another answer, very simply, in fact, there is no question that Beis Yosef asks a question which is not puzzling at all. Because we know that the whole name Hanukkah comes about as a result of the Hanukkah, the dedication that happened in that time. And the uh, the focal point of that dedication of the temple was the lighting of the menorah. That somehow signified the victory 
of the Chashmanoim at that moment. Gam mitaam shahoya shehi haisa rishayna. The gam mitaam shehi chaviva mehakarbonais. Both because it was the first time it was lit and because it's most beloved of all the Carbonus is, is usually translated as sacrifices, but those things that we do in, as part of our temple duties um, for God. The Kosov, the Medrashim, as it says in the Medrashim, Sha'al Chanukazu, Ramzu, Ligdoila, Mizoi, Ata, Muchon. For greater things than this, you are prepared in Cain, Bavadai, Im Hafach, Shemen, Im Hapach, Shemen, Lohoya, Doilek, Bimenoira, Kim Yom Echad, Levad, Kefishi Urai, Shaya, Boy. Even if the Pach would only have lasted for one night, the mere fact that the menorah was being lit would have been sufficient. They would have in any event have established a day called Hanukkah because of the fact that this lighting of the menorah at that moment was significant in as much as it um, was a rededication, the Beis Amikdosh, using the most beloved of all the duties that were performed in the temple. The Haraya, the Akovu Likrois, Pei Hanasim, Parshat Hanasim, Bechanukah, Zeche, Lechanukah Samizbech. Because um, the Parsha of the Nasim in Parshas Nosa is what we read on Hanukkah. Why? Because it signifies this rededication of the Beis Hamikdash, and that is such a focal point of Hanukkah. So the first day of Hanukkah we celebrate because of the Hanukkah's Ha Beis Hamikdash, the Hanukkah's Ha Hechel, the Hanukkah that was. Um, epitomized by the lighting of the menorah and even if the oil would not have lasted for another seven days that in and of itself would have been a significant event enough that we would have had a festival of Hanukkah for one day now then the menorah continued to be um, light for seven days more and therefore we have eight days but the first day was because of the Hanukkah's Hamizbeach uh, let's go to chapter 2 and look at an answer from the Chasam Seifer. The Chasam Seifer, In fact, we can answer the question of the Beis Yosef with that which is said in the prayer that we add in Shemana Esre and in Benching. What do we say? We light the, we lit the lights or the Chashmanoim lit the lights in the chatzreis, in the courtyard of your holy place. Interesting, he says. That means they didn't actually light it in the temple itself. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. There was no temple. It was destroyed. It was razed to the ground by the Greeks. And in fact, we know that the Greeks, says the Chasm Sofa, they defiled everything which was holy in the base of Mikdash. There was no location that they could light the menorah um, inside, a, uh, inside a sanctuary. Even if they would have built a temporary sa- sanctuary, they couldn't have purified it. They need to clean out the um, sanctuary and to clean out and to purify ritually the base of Mikdash. Whatever was left, they had to rebuild it and sanctify it and they didn't have that at that moment. Therefore, they had to light the uh, menorah in the open air. They had to light it in the Azorah, in the courtyard, uh, as it were, of the Beis Hamikdash. 
Kochecha. That's why it says in that Tfil of Alanisim and Bimei Matisyo that they lit the lights in the Chatzrois Kochecha, in the courtyard of your holy place. They lit it in the Chatzar and not in the Heichal itself. It was destroyed. But perhaps it wasn't destroyed completely and they could have lit it in there, but even if they could have, uh, in, in physical terms, um, they couldn't because of the ritual defilement that had taken place in that location. The Alfizer says the Chasm Seifer. If that's the case, the, answer, the question of the Beis Yosef has been very satisfactorily answered. Why do we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah? We only had sufficient oil to light the, uh, the menorah for one day. Ah, says the Chasm Seifer. I have the answer for you. If you light something in the open air, it's not quite the same as lighting it indoors. We know that the wind was blowing there. And that makes the, um, makes the oil last for a shorter time. You would need more oil if that's the case. You need a greater quantity of oil because the flame is going to burn through the oil quicker. In a place where the wind is blowing, you need much more oil in order for it to stay alight for the same amount of time. The fact that the oil was sufficient to last for one day, what was that saying? That was only for it to be lit for one day. The um, quantity was sufficient for it to, uh, the menorah to remain alight for one day in the Echol, indoors, inside. We know that in in Indoors, as it were, the wind cannot blow and therefore is not going to in any way interfere with the flame. But now that we see that um, the, the, uh, the menorah was lit outdoors and that's a place where the wind is blowing, uh, even so it remained alight the entire night and therefore we can say that even on the first night a miracle occurred says the Chasm Sofa that's why we have an 8 day Hanukkah now let's look at the Chidushe Horim Chidushe Horim says why did Chazal very unusually create a situation where you could light one light for one person in each home? But if you want, each person can light in the home. And if you want, you can light either one through eight or eight through one if you go according to Beis Shammai. We don't have that many mitzvahs like that where Mahadrin and Mahadrin, the the best way of performing the mitzvah becomes the norm we don't have that situation with many other or any other mitzvahs let's explain it he says at that at that time what did they want to do they wanted to make thin wicks that the wicks that they put in the menorah would be an eighth of the size, the eighth of the width, as it were, of the regular wicks that one would put in the menorah. They thought very cleverly, if we only, if the wicks are much thinner, then maybe the flame will be smaller, 
but at least the oil will last for eight days until we can get the new oil from Tekoa. Do you know what? There was a miracle even on the first day. Even though they divided the, uh, they did, sorry, they cut down the sides of the wick to such an extent that the flame should have been very tiny, the flame was full. It was a mahadrin min a mahadrin flame. And in that case, we can see that immediately when they lit the menorah on the first day, they could perceive the miraculous event that was taking place before their eyes. And that's why, because the flames were a mahadrin min a mahadrin flame in that situation, Chazal were masakain, this concept of mahadrim and mahadrim, of doing th- something in the best possible way with the Neiros Chanukah, Kivun Shehaneis Nase Behidur Mitzvah, because we see that the miracle enhanced the quality of the mitzvah. I'm not going to, I've, I've actually highlighted a few more that I was going to look at. Uh, perhaps I'll look at one more from, the, from this Sefer, and then we're going to go to something very, very interesting. This is from... I thought I'd had something from the fifth chapter. Um, but this is from the fourth chapter. That the days of Hanukkah, this chapter was about the days of Hanukkah, the number being significant. And he says that um, this is the Zecher Avraham. I don't know exactly who that is. He says that the reason why we have eight days of Hanukkah is to do with the eight Nisim, the eight miracles that occurred on Hanukkah. And that's why Chazal established an eight-day festival. What are they? Only have to look at Alanism and be Matisio to find out. Rav Tois Rivam, Dan Tois Dinom, Nokam Tois Nikmasom, Mosar Togiburim Biad Haloshim, Rabim Miyad Maatim, Tameim Biad Tohirim, Rishoim Biad Sadikim, and Zaydim Biad Oiske Serosecho. You have eight miracles that are mentioned in the prayer that we say for Hanukkah, and as a consequence, in correlation to those eight nisim, we have eight days of Hanukkah. I'm going to leave this safer now, and I'm going to look at something very, very interesting, which is um, uh, the story of Chaim Zelig Slonimsky. Chaim Zelig Slonimsky was a Russian scientist in the 19th century. I think we have a picture of him here, and uh, if you're watching the video, you'll be able to see, um, you'll be able to see this picture perhaps more clearly. But this was Chaim Zelik Slonimsky, a very um, scholarly looking man with a big beard. Um, that's a picture of him with a yarmulke, but there's a picture of him, actually a photograph of him without a yarmulke. I think this was, um, uh, you know, in those days, if you wanted to be a scientist in the secular world, you shouldn't look too Jewish. And in those days, it was quite ordinary or normal for a person to have a beard. So he had a beard. He had also quite long hair. But he was not just a scholar of science and mathematics. He was actually a scholar of Hebrew as well. And he regularly wrote articles in, um, in uh, uh, Jewish journals and elsewhere. He could write fluently in Hebrew. And uh, in 1891, he was 80 years old, he published an article titled My Hanukkah, which is, of course, the first two words of the Gemara, the passage of Gemara that we read at the beginning of this year. And it was in the popular Hebrew journal, Hatzafira. And quite bizarrely, Chaim Zelik Slonimsky, by the way, here's the article. Um, 
perhaps I'll attach it to the source sheet today or I'll have it as a link on my website so you can have a look at it. This is the actual original article, um, of a copy of it, from Hatsafira in 1891. He suggested in the article that the miracle of the oil never actually happened. And he based this on the fact that it's not mentioned in Maccabees. These, it's a contemporary account of the wars that took place between the Greeks and the Jews. And it's not mentioned in Josephus, who talks about the story of Hanukkah, but he doesn't mention the miracle of the Menorah. And according to Slanimsky, it was the military victory that was the real um, miracle. The military victory was what they were celebrating, especially because it was public and widely known, while the oil miracle, if it occurred at all, which he seems to doubt, uh, was only known by a few people at the time who ever knew about it. If you were living a few miles away from Yerushalayim, you wouldn't have known about the oil miracle. Only if you were living in Yerushalayim at that particular moment and went to the Mokem HaMikdosh, you might have known about the miracle of the oil. But otherwise, why would you have known? That's what he says. And to prove his point, he says that the Rambam doesn't mention the miracle of the oil when he talks about Hanukkah, even though he quotes, he quotes, he directly quotes the Gemara in Shabbos. So how did Slonimsky explain that, um, the fact that the oil miracle was considered the real miracle of Hanukkah? So he says that the Hasmoneans actually did only have one day's worth of oil when they rededicated the temple. And if they'd only lit um, that first night and then stopped for a few nights, people would have got upset. You started it, now it's not continuing. So they didn't want to upset people, but they needed to establish themselves in the Beis HaMikdosh and to show that the Beis HaMikdosh had been rededicated. So they lit the menorah. But they lit the menorah only for a few hours and either they blew it out or they only had put some oil into the menorah. But of course, uh, a few hours later, there was nobody in the Beis HaMikdosh and therefore nobody knew that the menorah had gone out. And then the next night they lit it again. They didn't say the menorah went out. They just said they lit the menorah again and they publicized the victory of the miracle when everybody was standing around. But when nobody was there, the menorah went out. And Slonimsky says that this version of events is very much in keeping with what the Rambam says, that there's no such thing as miracles that are, go against natural law. Now, as you can imagine, well, first of all, there's lots of flaws in this theory. The first flaw is that nobody would have known about the miracle. Why would nobody know? The first day it happened, somebody travels from Yushalayim to the next place and from that place to the next place and from that place to the next place. And within a few days, everybody's going to know about the miracle. So, of course, people would know about it. That doesn't make much sense. Secondly, we know that the menorah has to remain alight for a full day. So the next day when they lit the menorah, people would see that the menorah was not alight. Right. Because there had to be a light. And I don't know if it was it went. I think it must have gone out and then they relit it. That's the way it worked. So when people came into the base of Mikdash during the day, the following day, they would have seen the menorah was out. So, of course, it wouldn't have worked. The whole theory doesn't make sense. In any event, the Gomorrah itself says that the menorah remained alight um, uh, for for the full eight days and that the festival was only established as a result of that the following year and that being the case by the following year everybody would have heard about the miracle anyway i'm not going to go into all of that what i would t will tell you is that there were a bunch of books that were published against slonimsky um here's i i i actually have these books but i couldn't find them before the shirts so i've just taken printouts from 
um, hebrewbooks.org. Here's one, it's Neis Pach Hashemen. Um, uh, that's one book that was published against Slonimsky. And then there was this book, which is um, a pamphlet, Derech Emuno, which was published. Um, I have it. I don't know where it is. I couldn't put my hands on it. But uh, it's all of these are available on Hebrew books. And then you've got this rather curious book, which is called Agodas Pach Hashemen. Agodas Pach Hashemen was written by a man called Reb Shmuel Alexandrov. Now, Reb Shmuel Alexandrov was a very, very interesting man. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of him. He lived in Bobroisk. And Reb Shmuel Alexandrov, um, can you see him there? And Carly's going to put the picture in the video. Reb Shmuel Alexandrov, he was born in 1865. Unfortunately, he was murdered in the Holocaust in 1941. He was a student of a lodge in yeshiva of the same age as Rav Cook, and he was there at the same time as Rav Cook, and he loved the Sforim of Rav Cook. And he was very much into Kabbalah and philosophy. He was a thinker, which was is unusual. Most rabbis are very practical, or they're very they do a lot of social work, uh, and they get involved in halacha. He was very much involved in philosophy and Kabbalah, and his religious thought is, I would call it, universalistic, um, and in some places even antinomian. Very curious for an orthodox rabbi to think in the way that he did, um, and he's stuck there in a, in a fairly unknown place called Babroisk, which, uh, by the way, was a center of Chabad Hasidim. Uh, there were many, many Chabad Hasidim in Babroisk, and he was influenced by some of the anarchistic implications of Rav Cook's work. He was very fond of Rav Cook's works, and he was also influenced by a famous Russian philosopher called Vladimir Solovyov. Um, unfortunately, he was murdered in the Holocaust. Anyway, he wrote this Sefer in defense of Slonimsky, and he said that there's such a thing called Agoda, and he bases himself more or less on what the Ramban said in his famous debate with um, uh, Christiani, the Jewish convert to Christianity, who tried to undermine the Ramban in debate with quotes from Chazal. And the Ramban said to him, listen, not every Chazal has to be taken literally unless it's halachic. Um, Agoda is Agoda, and we don't take it literally. We take lessons from it, and it contains elements of truth. It is based on truth, but that's not the way we necessarily consider things to have happened. And that's why we can have Agadot, we can have Midrashim, which argue with each other about the same story, about the same event. Because Agoda is there as a platform for us to grow as Jews and grow in our faith. And that being the case, says... Um, uh, Rabbi Alexandrov, the story of Hanukkah is also something to do with faith. It should be treated like an, uh, uh, an agoda, a medrash, as it were, of Chazal, and not taken literally. And that being the case, he says, don't criticize Slonimsky for having said what he said, because uh, it's not important for us to believe as an element of our faith that the miracle of Hanukkah happened in the way that we um, imagine it to have happened based on the Gomorrah. In any event, um, we have here one final sefer which I want to show you, which is Emunas Chachomim, which is a sefer which was written um, by someone against Alexandrov. Um, first of all, against Slonimsky, and then against Alexandrov. And that was quite a celebrated cause in the late 1890s. I have to tell you that... Um, uh, uh, that Slonimsky was totally unaffected by this. He felt he'd done the right thing and he lived, I think, for another 10 years or more. And he died as a very old man, still considered fully orthodox. And he was uh, um, uh, um, 
forgotten, which is why I remind you of him today. A historical anecdote, a vignette from history, the Maichanika episode for us to consider. And with that, I'll leave you. Thank you so much for watching, for listening. Thank you for participating. I wish you a Chanukah Sameach. And may we celebrate with the lights, not just of the Chanukah menorah in our homes, but the light of the menorah in the redate dedicated Beis HaMikdash with the arrival of Mashiach Bimheira Amen.